the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and as usual, I am your host for today's nonprofit MBA podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I'm also co-founder of Financing Solutions, and we are the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits in the United States. If you're interested in looking at into a line of credit for your nonprofit, it's a very popular product. Uh, please visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we have a sponsor for today's podcast. It's Arrays Fast Fund Online. Uh, it's spelled A-R-A-I-Z-E. They are accounting uh, a software that's specifically built for small to medium-sized nonprofits. Um, I think it's really a good idea to have software that's specifically built uh, for your industry. And that's exactly what Arrays does. One of the nonprofits that I'm a board member on uses Arrays. We switched over to them after they were using QuickBooks, which didn't really do a good job for, for us. So if you're interested in learning more about Arrays, please go to their website at araize.com or call 866-840-7449 and you can talk to Joe. Um, and today I am very excited to be speaking with Lisa Greer from Saving Giving. Lisa uh, uh, Zola Greer is a fundraising coach, nonprofit change maker, major donor, and author of the best-selling book, Philanthropy Revolution. Lisa is on a mission to save giving by providing a clear path to success, supported by data, statistics, and interviews. Lisa, welcome today to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So, uh, you know, today's uh, topic, the future of fundraising, why ph philanthropy is in trouble and how to save it. Um, so let's really get to the heart of the matter. Why is uh, philanthropy in trouble? Right. Well, uh, it's, it's interesting that we're doing this uh, now because just a few months ago, I think it was... Um, Less than two months ago, uh, the new statistic came out from the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, which you might be familiar with, saying that uh, for the first time as ever, it appears, uh, that uh, uh, the, in the number of donors has gone down. This is in the uh, fourth quarter of 2022. The number of donors has gone down and the number of uh, donations has gone down. So in the past, you might have had one or the other, or we, for the last several years, it's been uh, that, that there's been a reduction in the number of uh, donors, but the amount of dollars had gone up, and that has a lot to do with the mega donors that are out there. But to have them both decline is is definitely worrisome, and it's something that I have been expecting for a long time, unfortunately. And uh, that's why I do what I do, which is trying to get the industry to take notice. Yeah, I um, was there. I, I was there a spike during COVID that went up for donate uh, donations. Uh, I. I know I, I had got anecdotal evidence that that was occurring. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't typically look at individual sites. I look at statistics. And uh, overall, the research tells us that, yes, uh, there were actually, it, it's interesting, there was a decline uh, prior to COVID. 
And then it, we ended up bouncing back during COVID uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, so kind of it either stopped, halted the, re- the, 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 the reduction or it actually uh, increased um, it, revenue was increasing or number of donors. So definitely number of donors increased during COVID. People gave many, many people gave for the first time uh, ever. Um, because obviously, you know, having a hundred year pandemic is a big deal. And so um, that that brought a lot of people into the sort of fold of giving. And uh, unfortunately, not a whole lot was done with them because we're using arcane, uh, arcane archaic methods uh, in terms of fundraising. So those people weren't really um, cultivated, uh, you know, cultivated, I guess, is a good word, or just, I was going to say, just really, you know, addressed, taken care of during that period of time. So so what happened was as soon as that sort of, you know, excitement about dealing with a, a, a world pandemic kind of a disastrous situation, as soon as that went away, um, what they say at this fundraising effectiveness project uh, report and several other reports recently is that we just ended up going back to where we were, say, in February of 2020, and then that um, uh, that decline continued. So yeah. it's pretty depressing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, my guess was, uh, if you'd asked me two years ago, I mean, I can look really good by saying this now, but um, that's what's what was going to happen. That we were going to see a spike, and then it was going to come back down again. So I mean, it's just that people. It's just you know things run in cycles. That's, and that's what I've learned. And um, so I kind of would have expected that, you know, I think every year, I mean, this is like my sixth year of doing these podcasts and, and every year or two, I have somebody like yourself who, you know, is talking about the change that's going on in, in a f- philanthropy. And, um, you know, a lot of times it must've been five, six years ago, when I had somebody on who was basically saying that philanthropy has been, you know, getting more and more about the 3% of the top earners in the United States. And then the, the rest of it's shrinking. Um, is that still true? No, it's actually not true. Uh, it's, it sounds like it would be obvious and that ha- is true occasionally, but overall uh, it's really the um, middle range donors that um, have been increasing. And I think it's a lot of these younger uh, donors who are, are, are younger, want to do, want to give for the right reasons and are starting to give. And then they've hit a brick wall and which is where I see the problem. Yeah. It, it, my guess too, is that there's a lot more tools that and avenues to get to other donors that are lower, that are not the 3%. More efficiently and effectively, and get them in that cycle. Is is that your opinion too? Yeah, tons of tools. And and I, I was I've been at a couple of conference conferences recently, and um, and heard over and over again that something very strange, which is that the senior um, uh, senior fundraisers at a lot of large organizations are actually Luddites and act, don't even know how to do an Excel spreadsheet, which mm. you're, you're, you're nodding, so I guess you're not surprised. I was shocked. I was just astonished. And um, so when you bring in other kinds of tools that are dealing with, oh my gosh, you know, go all the way to AI, they just don't want, they'll just say, no, 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 stay, you know, stay away, not into that. But even just segmenting your database yep. is something that people, for some unknown reason, 
uh, in this sector where it's done every day in almost every other sector I can think of. It's just it's there's a reticence to add that to our mix here to help us do better. So consequently, people who want to give are being left by the wayside. They'll give once or twice. And then this recurring, the, the, the thing that has declined more than anything is the number of um, uh, repeat, repeat donors. So that's just, uh, it just keeps going. Even, even during COVID, that just kind of uh, kept declining. And that's, um, it's, it's really awful because behind those statistics are people. And these are people who want to give, like I said, they want to give for the right reasons. They start to give. And then the rules that have been created about a hundred years ago, honestly, in this sector uh, kind of come and bite them and say, no, 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 you're not old enough, or you're not white enough, or you're not this enough, or you're not a man, or you're not whatever. And then they say, oh, you know, maybe I, I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe this isn't the right place. Maybe I don't know enough about it. And then they stop giving or stop giving or um, more often they'll uh, uh, put their money in a donor advice fund and say, okay, maybe this will change later and I'll try them because I'm just not getting, um, it's not even traction. I'm not, it's not, it's not a satisfying experience and I'm being um, in a lot of cases, not even thanked. And that's just awful. Well, I, pers- I last episode I talked about uh, a situation where I, I raised and donated a lot of money, and that was the problem I've had too. And so, what's 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 really it kind of squashes what I was thinking before, and that is, you know, the, yes, are there tools to reach your donors uh, or people who could be donors? Yes, but I also think there are a lot of tools out there that are helping people run their organizations yes. very effectively should be very effectively and more productively. And I'm talking about the smaller to mid-size uh, nonprofits. You know, those tools now have come down in price where it's very and almost sometimes free for smaller organizations. And and you know, the excuse for not paying attention to renewing donors who are donating money uh, is inexcusable. Really, right? It really is. I mean, it should be. You should be looking at your existing donor base, um, but well before putting all the effort into getting those people to renew, before you're going to go out and get new people. Which, which is crazy that people don't see that. I, I mean, I, I don't. When, when you, you, you find new donors, you're working to find new donors. Oh, I have to go find some new people. You give them your sales pitch, and at the most two out of every 10 at the most will come back the next year and give again. So eight of those 10 people are going to say, oh, not a good experience. I, you know, not interested. Um, and, and I think some fundraisers can't help but blame those people and say, oh, well, they weren't really into it anyway. But I don't think that's, that's it. I think that might be the case with a couple of people. But I think for the most part, it's just not a, not a satisfying experience. Um, when you ask about uh, impact and people kind of blow you off and don't want to talk about that. Or when you um, you're ex- you find out that you were expected to give the second year and you're expected to give more and nobody told you those rules at the beginning, it's really tough. And we now have a situation where we have um, we have a world where a lot of people are giving in a lot of different uh, a lot from a lot of different ethnicities ethnicities a lot of different ages a lot of different genders. I mean, there was just this this incredible report that happened that came out about a year or two ago at Dartmouth where a number of women uh, who were alumni, um, are you familiar with this by chance? No. I don't, it's, it's just, when I tell you, you won't believe it. But so this woman was a, um, uh, an alum of Dartmouth, worked at Goldman Sachs, had done very well. And for some unknown reason, 
her husband, um, uh, her, her husband was getting solicitations from Dartmouth all the time. She was being completely ignored and um, for 20 years. And I, I, I would have just said, forget it. I'm not giving money to Dartmouth. She instead decided um, this woman just has a, a, a huge heart, evidently, and is very positive. And she said, I'm going to go to the, the chancellor, the dean, and I'm going to say, I'm going to go get a group of women together and say, look, women are a force and women can give and women do have money. Um, $384 million later, a couple of years later, she had raised all from women, by the way, almost all alumni. Um, she decided that she was going to find a hundred women to give a million dollars a piece. And I think the school probably was like, you know, probably patting her head and saying, oh, sure, honey. Right. And she ended up doing it. And on top of that, raised another couple hundred million dollars in legacy giving also from these women. Now, when you hear a story like that, that's real, you wonder why are people still being given, you know, sending mail to, to our husbands? Why are people still saying, you know, oh, you know, we, we can't have that many women because they really don't have the money. Let's go after the men. Like, how can those both exist in the shouldn't same it be going? Shouldn't the letter be going to the person who graduated from Wouldn't you Dartmouth? think? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's, I, I start, my book starts with a story where I was, um, I was the um, uh, chair of the board of our um uh, synagogue. And I'd been very involved in a long t- for a long time, not really as much as a donor because we really didn't have money. I, our, our story is that we almost overnight became wealthy. And, um, but, but we gave what we could. And when we decided that we were going to give them uh, the final million dollars to close their capital campaign, and this is a, you know, definitely in the range of small and medium nonprofits, um, the answer I got is, well, does your husband know about this? You know, it was, it was done in a slightly different way, but it was basically my husband was called and asked, do you know what your wife is doing? And, and that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense at all. So if we keep doing that, we're going to be basically we might as well not send out the solicitations and just say to people, you know what? You're not welcome here. Just go away because we're not going to talk to you. I wonder if they do the reverse, too, though. I, I know. I listen. I'm not a woman, so I, you know. But I wonder if if someone's going to be making a donation and it was your husband, right? I wonder if they say to him, "Is is your wife on board with this?" Uh, you know what? It's a very good question, and I think the answer is no. I've yeah. actually asked a whole lot of people, and would you ask that question, or have you ever been asked that question? Now that doesn't mean it didn't happen once or twice, but in general, um, it, it's. It, it, I am. I am hearing all the time that no, nobody ever asks the man. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised because I think more women make decisions in households than men. And so I, listen, I don't, I, this is my first year, this last year where I always thought I could be really good at raising money. And I did raise uh, a lot of money and I was good at it. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't have any techniques. I listen to my people on my podcast, you know, a lot of it's just uh, natural instincts, but um, uh, so, so let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned something about going to some, um, um, uh, conferences, right. Yeah. Which, you know, is, you know, within the last year, that's, that's, you know, coming back again. Right. I, I hope it is. Oh yeah. Um, big time, big time. So what, what have you heard in the conferences um, that has been of interest in relation to the future of fundraising and why philanthropy is in trouble, you know, outside of your book, well, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Sure. Sure. But what, have, what do you, what are the current trends that you're hearing in regards to kind of that subject matter? Yeah. Um, 
you want the entire subject matter about how it's changing or about women or you want a, a global? Yeah, no, I, I just kind of meant like, what have you heard lately that's, that's interesting in general at the conferences? Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, well, some of it's interesting in a negative way. Some of it's interesting in a positive way. Um, I think that personally recurring giving has been proven over and over again in the for-profit world. And for some reason, there is this unbelievable um, block reticence to embracing re recurring giving in this in this world, which I just find crazy. So the most recent big conference I went to, the AFP Icon Conference, the I went and looked at kind of who was in, how many people were in each room, and they had a lot of different seminars at the same time. And um, the one that had the least attendance of all was recurring giving, which just broke my heart because that's just leaving money on the table. That's just, I mean, that is proven, tried and true. But for some reason, I, and I, I think I'm starting to understand the reason, which I think is, well, that's little money. You know, we don't do little money. We want big money. We want major donors. So we can't see that $100 a month or $50 a month as tens of thousands of dollars at any point. We just see it as what they're giving that month. And I think that's unfortunate. But so that's kind of a trend. Um, I think that in, I, I think that storytelling, uh, understanding the, the importance of storytelling as uh, in relationships with donors, that's a big trend. I think I, I hear people talking about that a lot and very, very interested in it. And at the same conference, the storytelling pieces, seminars were getting a, a, a large crowd. I think the um, I, I think that the donor advice fund piece is a really big deal. Uh, I get asked questions about donor advice funds more than anything else that I do ever and over and over again. So I think people see the dollars that are going into those and it's, it just, it grows exponentially every year. I can't even believe what it's up to. It's up to 250, about $250 billion right now, just in the U S. And I think that it's easy to say, Oh, those are people who don't really want to give until it starts increasing into numbers like that. And then you say, well, wait a minute, these can't, people can't all be horrible people who don't want to give and they just want a tax break. Let's find out, like, how do we get in there? What's, what is that about? And so I definitely see donor advice on, on the kind of on, on, on everybody's kind of top of their list of we've got to figure that out. Now, they may want to be figuring it out just so they can uncover those donors and get to them. But whatever reason they are talking about it, where a few years ago it really wasn't um, wasn't a big thing. Um, and then I think there's also something about like there's the demographics changing. So women do make more decisions about about giving than their husbands. That is uh, that is true. Um, and or women who are mar married do right. But um, and I think we need to say, OK, what do we do with that? So I think there are people doing that. I think that the um, younger and and mid-level fundraisers in the in the sector are looking at the way things have been, this is overall, I think they're looking at the way things have been done and the way they were told to do things. You must do an ask, you must do this. You must go out and you know talk to, take 20 people to lunch a month. You must call 150 people. I think they have actually have an, almost an innate understanding that that doesn't feel right and that maybe having a relationship does make sense. Uh, so I, I'm excited about that. I think that's what we need to do. We now need to get the senior people uh, to understand that that change has happened in the rest of, in the world around us like you said the tools are there um, the the interest is there we just need to figure out how to bring that all together to um, to sustain our, our sector and grow it yeah now when when you what year did you write uh, your book uh, which I'm looking for the name yeah the name of it. 2020, yeah. 2020 revolution yeah 2020 21. 
came out about uh, three months after COVID started. Okay. And so how far out in the future, uh, were, were you talking about the future of fundraising in that book? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and so how far out did you look when you were talking about, you know, the future of fundraising? Yeah. Um, and thank, and thank you for that question. The reason why I wrote the book is specifically that, that I, um, encountered some, uh, uh, information, some stories and things of people who had, it really started with a, a, a major donor here in Los Angeles who had passed away. Uh, and, um, he was about 96, something like that years old, um, had a wonderful life. People knew who was going to be taking over his, his financial situation, all that kind of thing. And we heard the day after he, um, passed away that, uh, that he had given that, that one of the large, um, institutional, uh, nonprofits in here in Los Angeles, he was told that, uh, he, he told actually my husband that 60% of their revenue had come from this one guy. And I was alarmed by that. And I Me thought too, in a yeah. regular business, that wouldn't be okay. So even if he was embellishing, even if it was 30%, it only takes two or three of those to basically kill tons of organizations. And I say tons of organizations because this was an institutional funder that regranted to organizations that been regranted to other organizations. So I estimated that about a thousand organizations were in danger if one or two more people passed away at that age were in danger of all of a sudden not getting a check that month and being out of business. And I can't see, I, I can't, when I saw it, I decided I couldn't live with what I could see in the future not that I'm a future, you know, not that that's what I do, but I could literally feel it that if a few more of these guys go down, if they are in fact funding organizations to that extent, then all of these little organizations are going to have to, are, are just overnight. They just, they just won't get money anymore. They will be gone. And so I looked at the um, uh, major donor lists of many of the big institutions around the country to see who their donors were. And I found out that they were kind of the same people over and over again, a lot of the same people. And the average age was about 80, 85 of those people. So then I thought, well, we probably have, you know, let me look at the math, right? And we probably have at that point, I was saying at the most eight to 12 years, when I, when I started the book, I think now it's much less than that, that if we don't bring in new younger donors, then this, that, that, situation that I just described could actually happen. And so it is, I find, I mean, I think it's a crisis. I think that it's absolutely critical that we go after all of these other people who are being ignored. And when I say that, it's, I'm saying that from experience. When we came into money, we were completely ignored as well. In fact, we tried to give a very large donation to our um, local medical center and hospital, and they ignored me for seven months, basically. I mean, I, they'd make a call or two and then they'd go away and then they, because they didn't believe that we actually had the money and they just didn't even bother checking to see if we had the money, which is public information. So we know that there's loads and loads of people like me who have through stock or through tech or through whatever it is, um, have become wealthy where they weren't before. And it is um, inexcusable, I think, to not be aware that those people are there and that we need to bring them into the fold of, of, of giving, teach them how it's done and, and pay attention to them. Because, But I, I did talk to a, a dyed in the world major fundraiser during this time when I realized this. And she said, I said, well, why are they not doing that? And she said, because it's easier to just go to the old guys and ask them for a little bit more money. Well, okay, but that's not gonna keep us in business long-term. Yeah, I uh, again, I haven't done it. This is this is what I've learned over thirty years in business. Uh, it's longer than that, but my own businesses. But um, 
The 80-20 rule applies to everything. And that is 80% of your, the money you raise comes from 20% of your people. Right. So if I'm running a fundraising effort, do I go, do I put, listen, let's face it, time is uh, a limited resource, right? So where am I going to put my time? I'm going to put my time into the aging uh, group of people, 55 and older, who have made their wealth and um, and are continuing to uh, and and are now going to, you know, potentially move that wealth over into a charity, and that's where I want to put my time. Now, I would say maybe 80% of my efforts going to go into our initiative into that area. And then 20%, I'm going to use new technology to try to reach um, uh, younger people um, with reoccurring donations. Where am I I wrong in that instance? Well, um, and, and again, thanks thanks for that. I've never heard anyone put it that way, but you're, you're exactly right. At this conference, I actually heard someone speaking who said 95-5 and that you should only put 5% into the rest. Um, but, but there's a premise there that's a little bit um, not correct, which is it used to be that the older you were, the more money you had and that people who had a lot of money were older. But, you know, go look right now at our tech titans and people who are around, you know, in the, in the news every day, they're not 55 or older, they are younger. And so that piece of it, us ignoring that piece is, um, it, we, we can't ignore them. I mean, it's, it's different. It's not the idea that this old money versus new money thing, which yeah, used to be Yeah, that's fair, yeah. That's, yeah. And the old money versus new money has gone away. It doesn't exist no. anymore. In fact, 60 plus percent of um, uh, high net worth people in the United States, 60 plus percent, it was, some people say it's like 65, it's at least 60%. Um, are first generation wealthy. So they did not get it from anybody else. They made the money themselves. There's a portion, there's a smaller portion that actually did get it from their parents, but then didn't lose it, like increased it from there. But people who actually, you know, had some sort of business, some sort of liquidation event, something along the way, and made that money and are 32 years old is not uncommon these days. And so, so if we use the premise that yeah, not worth going after them because we're just going to go after the people who are 80, you know, or 55 plus or older. Um, it's, you kind of have to do both. And yes, there's limited resources and that's unfortunate, but, but I think that it's, it is, it, both of them are important. One can maybe keep the train running, but while you're keeping the train running with the older people, you really do need to spend, a, 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 I mean, a significant amount of resources and time on uh, recruiting those other people because they're going to be your older people in the future. But even if they're not, they can do it now. It doesn't really matter. They might not have money when they're 80 and they have lots of money right now. But if you if you turn them off to giving because of the way that we treat them as sort of like, oh, you're 32, you couldn't possibly have money. Or my, my, my favorite one was, and I, I have a little thing on this in the book, that that we, we talked to a woman who was a, about 20 something years old. She was at Google. Uh, she um, had a lot of money from her family, but as well as was making a lot of money in stock there. And she decided to go to a, um, uh, you know how they have like um, uh, job fairs, but instead they had a, um, a, a nonprofit fair where they had lots of different booths of different nonprofits. So she did her research like a good smart person would do. And she 
made a, a beeline to the booth of the nonprofit she was interested in. She said, hi, I would like, I, my name is whatever, I work here and I would love to talk to you about being on your board. And the woman on the other side of the table said, what could you at your age possibly um, uh, bring up, bring to our board? And we can't do that. That's like, so is that person going to at any age say, you know, I really want to jump into that again and try that. Or maybe I'll wait till I'm 70 to go join a board. She's not. She's just going to say this work, this thing's crazy. I should just give to people individually. I'm not going to give to these organizations. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's happening. All right. So, uh, I, I threw you off track with a lot of questions, although we veered right into the future. But so give me your top three things that you think you want our listeners to know about the future of philanthropy. Yeah. Uh, number one is that most people know. Well, OK, I'm sorry. Number one is that kind of what I just said, that the future of philanthropy depends on change that needs to happen and starting now. So that's one thing. The second is that most of the ways that we need to change uh, the way fundraising is done are incredibly obvious if we can get the preconceived notions out of our heads. That if you think, and, and the way that you do that is you say, how would it feel to me? Because if you believe, as I do, that everybody is a donor, everybody, depending, forget how much money you have, even the person who's, you know, the homeless person on the street has given a blanket to somebody, everybody's given something. And once you can say, I, we've all been donors. How does this feel? Then you will have the answer. So it doesn't take rocket science to get there. Um, it just takes an open mind. And I think the third is that uh, we need to understand that it's um, it, that's a new time. That 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 it's a new time and how you and thanking people and basic basic um, courtesy and the way that you would deal with people as friends or anything else is the same as the way that a donor and a fundraiser should work. They actually, most donors want to be partners and for fundraisers to not let them be a partner and make them feel like an ATM or a checkbook is um, unfair. Yeah, you know, um, I, I want to put my two cents in, uh, in not having any experience running a nonprofit, um, and, but having running businesses um, and it, it's unsexy for me to say this, but that is, it's about really great execution. And the problem yeah. that many businesses and many nonprofits have is they get into the, you know, the, the, the shiny new object type of thing, and they don't do a great job of, and wanting to focus on the unsexy thing, which is fantastic unbelievable execution and to me that that is very important in thank you the, the thanking people uh and, and listening to people and being uh, uh close to donors and and uh, you know if i think you if I were to pick one thing that I hear over and over and over again, and maybe it's because, you know, I used to have this one employee who would come into running my office telling me that, that you know, the fires, uh, you know, that something's burning because um, one of one of our clients said we're doing something wrong, right? And I'd say to her, um, okay, I go, have you heard that before? And she'd say, No. And I'd say, well, I, you know, we have 3,000, 4,000 clients. 
you know, when, when I start hearing it over and over again, it's a major issue. So, you know, I think sometimes with the thank you thing, you have one person who got slighted, right? And now all of a sudden the whole industry is up in arms and I can't answer that for every nonprofit. But my guess is um, I do hear it enough to, to know that you have to cross that one off your list. Would you agree with that? That one meaning thanking people? Yeah, having a whole. Well, I'm talking about is process, and that yeah, is- no, you have to, and it's it is um, everything that I've said to you is 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 not just my experience. The only things that are my experience are the ones where I said that's my experience. But yeah. but I hear I, it is unbelievable, including you. I can add you now to the list that every time I do these kinds of things, the person on the other end says I had a situation where I gave money and I wasn't thanked. That's just not okay. And you're right with. I mean that is. That's not even big execution. That's just basic stuff. And the idea that we're not doing that uh, and that I've seen lots of chatter online from people arguing about it, that, oh, no, they're donors. They have more money, so we shouldn't thank them. This is just basic two-year-old courtesy. And if we can't do that, then how in the heck are we going to do the rest of it? So that that just is um, it, it's 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 it is a rampant problem. It's not a few people, but that is absolutely something that I hear over and over and over and over again, as well as people having really dramatic, um, unpleasant experiences with fundraisers. I mean, they have pleasant ones too, but long-term to find people who say, I've given and I've given again, and I've given for 20 years and I love it. Um, I just love those people and I'd like to find more of them, but there's plenty of people who say, I gave for a year, I gave for a few years, and then I just, I just wasn't, didn't feel connected anymore. I wasn't getting anything out of it. I asked them a question they wouldn't answer. And so I moved on to somewhere else and did the same thing again for a few years. And that's really common. Yeah. And I'm talking about really building a process that you really can execute well on your thank you philo- uh, uh, philosophy. Yeah. Um, you know, listen, it sounds easy. Oh, you know, to say thank. Oh, they're like, well, oh yeah, well, we said thank you in the newsletter the other day. Oh, or not a newsletter, in an email the other day, you know? There's, there's different uh, communication methods. There's different ways that people want to be thanked. There's different levels. Uh, you know, people, you mentioned storytelling. People also want to hear in different, in different methods about, you know, what you're doing. Uh, don't okay. assume, you know, right? It's all those things that, that yeah. I think. And I would say is, uh, you know, if you're really looking to, to you know, if, you know, before you go out and get new donors, I think that you got to really fix that thank you part. Right. Yeah. I think and, that- and, and it's very simple. I have a simple answer for that, which is, is not high tech. It's kind of low tech. Maybe it's kind of mid tech. And that's that anybody can do an online survey from anywhere very quickly. Right. You know that you can do SurveyMonkey, but there's a whole bunch of others. Sometimes the survey piece is even included in whatever software you're using. But it's it's easy. It's free. Generally, anybody can do it and it'll take you minutes to an hour to set it up. So when people say to me, well, I'm thanking people, well, you know, a big giant discussion about what color ink should I have on the thank you note? And and I say to them, we don't know if they care. I mean, we don't, you're deciding that for them. You're assuming for them that that's something they like. Why don't you thank them in the way that they want to be thanked? And then they will say to me, how, well, how do I find that out? I don't understand. And the answer is, you want to guess what the answer is? Yeah. Yeah. No. Do I want to guess? Yeah. Ask them. <laughs> you just ask them. That is yeah, the yeah. thing. Just ask them. And people know how they want to be thanked. Everybody knows that. If you if someone asks them, I have it's never been asked that question. Never. How do you, how often do you want to find out about our success towards our mission? 
ask yes. them that question. Do you, then people say, oh no, well, we always do it this way that we send you an annual report. That's not answering the question for me. That's not helping me. So, and it is amazing that when you ask those questions and I have loads and loads of organizations who've done these surveys, four, five, six questions, including how do you like to be thanked? Uh, how do you like to be um, addressed, right? You know, you don't, doctor and missus or missus, whatever it is, you know, people know how they want to be addressed. And when you ask those questions, you get two benefits from this. A, you get the answers that you then, of course, have to then put into databases and organize them and follow through on what the people want. But the second thing that happens, which is really incredibly cool, is the people become more attached to your organization because of the fact that you ask them, which means you see them as an individual human being. Yeah. And that is really strong. And there's not a lot of other ways of building that so easily. So that's something that every organization can do. Yeah, I, I love the idea of the survey. You're, I think you're absolutely onto something and right. And that is, uh, are you listening to, uh, and soliciting feedback and criticism? You know, are, are you out there really, you know, like something as simple as of having a suggestion box on your website, you know, yeah. something as getting a, a survey out to, uh, to the people who are donating to you for, for them to ask them there, you know, with well asked, well, re, not researched, um, well, I'm trying to think of the right word, um, formulated questions. Uh, if, you know, if you get ahead of the game like that, can you really yeah. reduce the, the the dissatisfaction with your organization? And so I and I think that I think when I when I'm saying thank you, I think it, it revolves around customer satisfaction, you know, which is you know really really critical. So um, Lisa, I'll give you the last word as to you know or last thing to say because uh, we got we really kind of got to wrap this up. But what would you like leave our listeners with as far as the thoughts go in general? I, I, I'll say two quick things. One is um, don't assume. Think about the, the the funny thing that people say assume stands for. Just assuming is not going to do you any good. Assuming things about your donors isn't fair. And it's not uh, in, in today's world, assuming that a 32-year-old doesn't have money because they're 32 or that a woman doesn't have, that's just doesn't get you anywhere. Um, and the other piece, though, is that I believe strongly that fundraisers uh, that a bigger portion of uh, money that goes into organizations needs to go to overhead because I do think that fundraisers need to be paid a not only a living wage but a competitive wage and that they should be able to get the continuing education and the support that they need because it doesn't do any business well, for profit or not for profit, when people are out the door every 16, 18 months and you have to train them over again. That just doesn't make sense. So, And that's losing money for the company. So it does all of us well to treat fundraisers um, with the respect that they deserve and to train them and, it's, and to recognize um, that and, and I, as a donor, want to make it clear that I recognize and I think other donors recognize that it's a really difficult business. And the reason to go into it is because you're passionate about something. And for that, you should be supportive. Good stuff. I'd like to thank so very much, Lisa Greer from uh, Saving Giving on, for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to, uh, to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a five-star review on your podcasting app. It really helps us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, please visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Lisa, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? Thank you. Uh, LisaGreer.com, L-I-S-A-G-R-E-E-R.com. And you can then go on to my 
uh, uh, tip of the week that comes out every Monday, my uh, newsletters that come out every two weeks, and my um, uh, book and other things that I write. So please do go to lisagreer.com. Great. And again, I want to thank our listeners, just uh, not for just being our listeners, but also for trying to make the world a better place. Uh, you are out there every single day. I thank you for that. I know Lisa thanks you for that as well. And But I just want to remind you all that you're no good to your family, your friends, uh, your employees, even your cause if you don't take care of yourself first. So this is a marathon, uh, a, not a sprint. So make sure you're, you're every day you're thinking about what you need to do to take care of yourself first and then your family and your kids and your employees and your cause can come next. Other than that, everybody have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit MBA podcast and have a great day. See you later. Bye.